Hi, and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia, who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. Well, feel free to continue eating and hanging out. Um, I'm just bringing a bit of a short message tonight, more of kind of a reflection uh, that's talking about the heart of why we're doing this. Um, Hey, before we go any further, could we just give Pete a massive round of applause? Because not only has he emceed tonight, but he's put in a whole lot of work um, over the last few weeks and putting uh, tonight on. And I think Jen's still in the kitchen, but could we just like... I feel really bad because I, 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 I was in the car with Jen. I'm like, Jen, I've got this idea. It's going to be amazing. We should do a community dinner, but instead of doing dinner at the end, we should have dinner during church. And she was like, that's insane. And I'm like, no, it'd be so good. And so Jen and Pete organized it. <laughs> and I got to do the talk. <laughs> so um, this guy's amazing. So thank you, Pete. Thank you, Jen. This has been really fun. So thank you for being a part of our first ever dinner church experiment. We're sort of, as you can tell, we're sort of figuring this out as we go along. But I think it's been fun. I'm certainly, I've never preached on a book. In our, our short message, uh, I want to ask you a really simple question which is, how does this grow? How does church grow? Now, I realize that that's a, there's a lot of different answers to that question. People have written books on that. Uh, people have written entire uh, PhD theses on how church grows. Um, but I want to ask that question, not just theoretically, but, but really practically. Like, if there are 20% more people at dinner church at the end of next year, where did they come from? Where did they come from and how did they get to be a part of our community? Um, and I'm asking this question also not in terms of you know, growing growth for our benefit. I'm talking uh, growth for the benefit of the kingdom. And it's my hope that if we were to grow by 15 people in the next 12 months, that the majority of them would be people who are meeting Jesus for the first time, who are coming into contact with our community, who are sharing the gospel, and they're saying yes to Jesus for the first time. So how does that happen? Well, the word that we typically use to describe the process by which we tell people about the good news of Jesus is this word, evangelism. Hey, there we go. Uh, And I'm aware that as soon as I put the word evangelism up on the screen, uh, there's a whole lot of baggage that comes along with this word. And you see, I reckon there's two problems in our thinking that contribute to some of the anxiety that some of you might be feeling right now as you're looking at this word evangelism. The first one, uh, which I want to touch on briefly, is that I think sometimes we get confused about who is supposed to do this evangelism. And if you've ever looked in the Bible uh, for this word evangelism, you've probably come across uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12, which says that Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, 
the pastors and teachers, to equip his people for works of service, so that they are okay. Well, there's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So obviously what that means is that Christ has kind of divided up the church, and some of us are evangelists and some of us aren't. And so, you know, I find evangelism hard and scary, so evangelism, I'll leave that to the people who are good at that, and I'll focus on doing my thing. You see, the problem is that kind of, that misses the point of what this passage is trying to tell us about. You see, it's saying, uh, what Paul's saying here is that these, these different people, these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers have been given to the church as a gift to equip all of us. And so the idea is it's not just the, uh, the select few doing the ministry, it's all of us. And that includes the ministry of evangelism. But, on the flip side, I think sometimes we can get into this mentality that, okay, well, all of us are meant to do evangelism. And so some of us take that to mean that we're supposed to walk in the gifting of a gifted, uppercase E, evangelist. And if that's you tonight, if, if the idea of if thinking about evangelism provokes anxiety in you and, uh, and guilt and, and doubt, then I want to suggest to you that you don't have to act like an evangelist. You can be a person who evangelizes without being an evangelist. So that's the first problem is, is who does evangelism? But the problem that I want to spend a bit more time on tonight is this question of how are we supposed to do evangelism? And you see, I think there's something that really, this this kind of deep below the surface, there's these, these beliefs that we hold about how we do evangelism that aren't quite right. You see, I reckon for many of us, we think that evangelism goes like this. This circle you see here is the kingdom of God. So if you ever wondered what the kingdom of God looks like, it looks like this circle. At the center of the circle, we have us, the church. Anyone who believes in Jesus uh, and is part of the community of believers is the church. Now, we're all comfortable. We feel safe because we're in the middle of the kingdom of God and we're a long way away from the edge. What you might discover, however, is that there are these people who are outside the church. And we call them non-believers, and I put the non-believer in red because they're bad. (laughs) I'm glad you laughed. (laughs) Now, what we sometimes think evangelism means is one of us gets really brave, and we, we we go to a conference, we get all fired up about evangelism, and we think, you know what? I'm going to tiptoe outside the confines of the kingdom. I'm going to find myself one of these non-believers who's in red. I'm going to kind of grab them, and I'm going to drag them back inside the kingdom, and then finally pull them into the church. And then if enough of us hold them down for long enough, eventually the Holy Spirit goes three, two, one, conversion. And they become one of us, and they dress like us, and they talk like us, and you'd never know that they'd been anywhere else. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> the problem with this model, and you know what, I'm, I'm very obviously trying to caricature this style of evangelism. You know, so many people have been saved um, by people inviting them to church and, and j- slowly showing them the love of Jesus. So I'm not trying to say it's completely wrong. But I don't think this is the way that Jesus did evangelism. You see, Jesus, he doesn't spend all his time huddled with his mates in the middle of the kingdom 
Jesus spends the vast majority of his ministry here. Jesus lived on the edge. He lived on the edge. So what does that actually look like in practice? I want to read to you from Luke chapter 5, starting from verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their set complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, is it, not the healthy, it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. This is what Jesus models for us in the Bible. And if you read through the Gospels, and particularly the Gospel of Luke, you realize that Jesus spent so much of his earthly ministry having food with people. And uh, you could even almost say, as some commentators uh, have, that Jesus ate and drank his way through the Gospels. But not only is this what Jesus models, but I want to suggest that what we are doing tonight is actually a picture of heaven. You see, there's two images that we get again and again throughout the Scriptures that describe heaven. One of them is of worship, and we worship tonight, and I love to worship but I also realize that some people, uh, the idea of an eternal worship set is not necessarily their picture of heaven that, that draws them in. For some of us, it might be. For others, maybe not. But that's okay, because the other image that we sometimes don't notice as often that, that Jesus and so many of the other biblical authors use to describe heaven is a feast. It's what we're doing tonight. And you know, Jesus... Uh, in the Lord's Prayer, he teaches us to pray this. He says, um, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And so part of, our, part of the role that we have to play as followers of Jesus is to bring eternity, is to bring heaven into our present experience to the greatest extent that we can. And if heaven is a feast then that means the ministry of Jesus involves a lot of eating. And for someone whose love language is food, this sounds like an evangelism strategy I can get behind. Does it actually work? Am I reading into a scripture uh, in perhaps the wrong way? Am I just thinking wishfully, like I said, food is my love language? I want to provide evidence to you that it's not just my opinion. And I want to provide it from the early church. So a few hundred years after um, the book of Acts was written and, and the biblical canon has kind of finished, Christians were wreaking havoc in Roman society. Uh, and I want to read a little uh, quote from the Emperor Julian, who was he's writing about the year 330. Uh, and I should just clarify some language here, um, because when, it's ta- when he's talking about priests, he's talking about the priests to the Roman gods, When he's talking about Galileans, he's talking about Christians. And when he's talking about atheists, he's also talking about Christians. So the Emperor Julian wrote this about the early church. He said, We must pay special attention to this point, and by this means effect a cure. 
For when it came about then the poor, that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the priests, so that's the Roman priests, and I think these impious Galileans, the Christians, observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. And they have gained ascendancy in the worst of their deeds through the credit they win through such practices. For just as those who entice children with a cake and by throwing it to them two or three times induce them to follow them, and then when they are far away from their friends, cast them on board a ship and sell them as slaves. He's getting very dramatic, isn't he? By this same method, I say, these Galileans also begin with their so-called love feast or hospitality or service of tables, for they have many ways of carrying it out and hence call it by many names. And the result is they have led very many into atheism, which we now know as Christianity. The practice of hospitality in the early church was literally transforming the greatest empire on the planet at the time. Isn't that incredible? Their practice of hospitality had such a profound impact on the people that the early church came across that they were starting a grassroots movement that eventually would literally change the state religion of the Roman Empire. There is power in what we're doing tonight. I want to finish by... uh, just briefly mentioning a, a scripture that it, it's at the end of uh, the book of Luke. And it's this story. Uh, it's after Jesus has um, died and risen again. And there's this kind of rumor circular, circulating around Jerusalem that Jesus has come back from the dead. But, but not many people have seen him yet. And so the rumor is not confirmed. And so there's these uh, two of Jesus' followers, not, not his well-known disciples, but just two of his followers are walking on the road to Emmaus. And this man comes up and starts talking to them and asking them about the events. And we find out in the scriptures that this man is actually Jesus. But his followers, for some reason, Jesus has this uh, spiritual gift of being able to kind of go incognito. It's kind of cool. So they're walking along the road to Emmaus, discussing the events, and Jesus is asking them lots of questions about what's just happened. Uh, and they don't realize it's him. And then finally, um, the sun's going down. Uh, they stop at an inn and they beg Jesus, stay with us, stay with us for the night. We want to keep chatting. And so they sit down at a table. And, and check this out. I've never noticed this in this passage before. It just blew my mind. The moment that Jesus sits them down at the table and breaks bread is the moment that they recognize that it's him. You know, I think there's something incredibly profound about this practice of sitting down and enjoying the Lord's Supper together. There's something incredibly profound about this practice of hospitality. And I really believe that if we recover this spiritual gift of hospitality, that we're going to see the very fabric of our society change. I believe that what we're doing here tonight is such an important, important part of our ministry as the church. I believe this is where the rubber hits the road. This is where we get to sit down and we get to celebrate and we get to practice eternity together. So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to, as a response, we're going to continue to do exactly what we've been doing in building community around tables. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so, so amazingly grateful that you are so passionate about food. Um, And we just love that what we're doing tonight is just a little tiny little glimpse of heaven. Lord Jesus, I pray that we be a community of people who understand what it means to do biblical hospitality. 
Lord, that we would be a community of people who are constantly looking for new ways to reach out and to bring the gospel message, the good news to people who don't know Jesus yet. So, Lord, I just want to pray um, for an outpouring of the anointing of evangelism on this community. Lord, would you give us the courage um, to have hard conversations, to have scary conversations? Lord, would you, uh, would you give us eyes to see the people whose hearts you're already working in? And Lord, uh, would you just give us, um, Lord, give us opportunities to sit around the table with people who haven't met you yet and to introduce them to your goodness through the gift of hospitality and through food. Amen. Amen.